Welcome to Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully. I am your host, Dolores Alfieri Taranto. On this show, we talk spirituality for the rest of us, with a focus on the art of beautifying all facets of your life, using heritage, culture, beauty by hand, ancestral traditions, and old world style as means to do so. Welcome back, my friends. This is episode two of season four. So we are on our way here. It's very exciting. And today's guest is a friend of mine that I met, oh God, I guess about 15 years ago now. His name is Tomas Q. Morin, and he is a writer and a poet, and I will tell you a little bit more about him in a minute here. And before we do jump in to introducing Tomas, I just wanted to let you guys know that I put together a PDF, a little kind of creative artsy booklet (laughs) over on Substack. And I put it together with the thought of creating something to help both me and all of you who are interested celebrate the Easter season and just take some time to pause and reflect what the season means, how it coincides with spring and how we're letting go of winter and moving into spring and the warm weather and the gardens and of course the more spiritual side of Easter and the Lenten season and in the PDF are some beautiful photographs, some musings that I wrote about everything I just mentioned, as well as two recipes. One is for pizza chiena, also called pizza rustica, which is a very traditional Italian Easter pie, and another recipe for colomba, which is a, again uh, eleven, um, excuse me, an enriched bread made at Easter time in the shape of a dove. So I'm including these recipes in the booklet. Anybody who's a Substack subscriber can access the post and read a bit of what I wrote, but the actual PDF I've reserved for paid subscribers as a way of just saying thank you. The paid subscribers on Substack really help me to do all the work that I am doing, including this podcast. And for as little as about five bucks a month, if you do the yearly option, You can support this podcast, my Instagram posts, the extra content I am putting out over on Substack. It really is a way to show me that you're interested in what I'm doing and to say thank you for the free content that I put out there. It really goes a long way. So this this Easter PDF, um, Inspiration and Recipes for the Easter Season, is my way of saying thank you. And I will link to my Substack, of course, in the show notes, but you can find me at DoloresToronto.substack.com. And the name of my publication is The Tradition of Living Beautifully. All right, let me introduce you to my guest. His name is Tomas Q. Morin, and he is the author of the collection of poems Machete and the memoir Let Me Count the Ways, as well as the poetry collections Patient Zero and A Larger Country. He is co-editor of the anthology Coming Close, 40 Essays on Philip Levine, and translator of The Heights of Machu Picchu by Pablo Neruda. 
He is the recipient of fellowships from the Givitello Raniere Foundation, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Guggenheim Foundation. He teaches at Rice University and Vermont College of Fine Arts. And as you'll hear when we jump into the conversation, Tomas and I met many years ago at the prestigious Breadloaf Writers Conference. For those of you who've been listening since season one, you'll have heard me talk about Breadloaf with my guest, Alicia Jo Rabins, and I can link to that show as well in the show notes. And uh, Breadloaf was a very interesting experience. It's a competitive place for ambitious writers, and I did attend uh, many years ago and Tomas was was also in attendance and we've kind of more or less stayed in touch since and it was a pleasure to have him on the show to talk about writing and parenthood and all the other kind of beautiful aspects of life and daily life and our work. My friends, House of Tokemon is not just a sponsor of Bella Figura. They are a friend. The owner, Annabelle, is somebody that I speak to regularly. I text her questions constantly about my new chickens because if you've been listening to the show for a little bit here, you know that Annabelle has a homestead and she has way more chickens and other animals as well as children (laughs) than I have and she's always gracious in giving me advice and tips which I of course as a new chicken owner desperately need but more importantly Annabelle's work is our work the work that she does sourcing vintage handmade rugs from around the world is valuing the things that I and I know that so many of you listening value We want our homes to be as natural as possible, which is really hard to do in today's day and age because as we talk about so often on the show, everything is toxic. Everything has something in it that we don't want. So a lot of times we need to look to the past. These rugs, like other antiques, like other vintage items, they already exist in the world. They get cleaned up, they get prettied up, and they get shipped directly to your door. You can swap them out for the big box store rugs you may have in your home. And listen, they are an investment. Like anything vintage and enduring and timeless, it's an investment. But what I've been doing is swapping out my rugs as I can, a little bit at a time. And let me tell you, when I'm laying on the rug on the ground with my son reading a book, or playing with his toys and rolling around and laughing together, I am so grateful that I'm laying on a vintage, natural, non-toxic rug that's handmade, which is something I really believe in. Annabelle generously offering 25% off any order by using the code ABELLA25 for all of my listeners. Check her out at Hot Rugs. Dot net and use the code Bella25 for 25% off. All right, let's jump into this conversation. I'll catch you on the other side. Okay, Tomas, welcome to Bella Figura. Thank you. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute joy to be here. This is exciting. So as the listeners know, it, I've told them in the intro, we met 
Do I have to do the math? <laughs> <laughs> How long ago was that? Uh, Just say the year. The, it, I, I find like saying the year is. I don't even remember the year. 2009. 2009. Ouch. I know. That hurts even more than adding it yeah. up. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, they go so fast. So I have had one other person, just one other person that I met at Breadloaf on the show, um, Alicia Joe Rabins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alicia. And so listeners who've been listening from the beginning, you might hear us, you know, touch on some of the things that Alicia and I talked about, which is just, you know, it's, it's hard not to reminisce a little bit about Breadloaf. I know that you're still, you're teaching there now, correct? Uh, I'll, I'll teach there for the first time uh, this summer. Uh, oh, I was, okay. I went back in 2013 as a fellow. And um, I mean, the dream was always like, oh, like to to be one of the faculty, you know, sure. like that's, uh, yeah. yeah. So I got the invitation last. So last, you've achieved that. You're going back fall. as faculty. Yeah. Going as yeah. faculty. And I'm just absolutely just, it doesn't feel real. It really, it, it does. I, I think until like, I'm even, I'll, I'll probably get there. I'll be on the mountain and still be like, am I awake? Am I asleep? Like what's happening? Is, is this, <laughs> this really is so happening? you, this is, this is what, this is like a very generous kind spirit you have, which, which I in part brought up bread loaf because, okay. It's like summer camp plus high school. Absolutely. For artists, for writers, you know, artistic types, writers yeah. specifically. And I have no idea how it's changed. I've never been back, but it is very, it was very like hierar hier mm -hmm. hierarchical. <laughs> Hierarchical. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's a hard word for me right now. And remind me, what were you there as that year? Um, I was there as a scholar, tuition scholar. Okay. So yeah. So you were, yeah. you were like a little up. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a real thing then. Uh, so that when people who were like at your level were nice to people who like me, who are at my level, that was always appreciated. I always respect people like that. And I mean, I continue to, I, I have ha had weird jobs, like working for the governor of New York state since I left Breadloaf, And I've uh, interacted with a lot of people of varying statuses and any statuses. Mm. Is it plural? Stati? So. Uh, mm. We'll get back we to you on that, guys. Yeah. <laughs> And basically my point is anybody who uh, can still act like a human being, even if you're, you know, uh, not as what society sees as being on quote, their level is always somebody that gets my respect. So well, you Tomas know, is one of those people. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's like from the very first, before I even got there, when I just looked at the, the, the packet, right. Of mm. like, um, of, of work of, uh, my classmates uh, who were going to be in the workshop, I was like, wow, like these people are like, they're fantastic. Yeah. And then when I got there, I remember there was, uh, that was back when they had the, uh, which they've done away with now the, the waiter scholarship. You so know? I did, I think Alicia told me that they got, they did away with that because she was a waiter when I was yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, when we were there, the former director, Michael Collier, he had been a waiter, you know, right. like decades before, but um, uh, I remember um, hearing that one of the waiters like had, uh, just signed a contract, mm -hmm. a book, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, I mean, since then, since 2009, like fast forward to now, um, there are people who were in my class who have won prizes, uh, contributors who I know that I became friends with who've uh, published books. And um, so it's like, 
the higher, yes, like the hierarchy is there, but then also like once you get there, you realize just how exactly thin the line is. Right. You know, be, yeah. between the the sort of like quote unquote levels. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes. Uh, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, no one will be able to see my fingers, you know. Uh, um, well, I may use video portions of the video. I've, this is my fourth season and I've been telling listeners that I'm going to air video for that entire time. And I still have it only because I'm a one woman show and I can't like, I can't just take the videos and plop them in there. I have to go through them and make sure they're clean. And it's, I just can't yeah. get to it. Yeah. So, but you know, maybe, uh, stay tuned. You might see the air quotes. <laughs> well, um, you're absolutely right. And someone that I spent like actually two of the people I spent so much time with there were, um, Emma Klein and, um, Alexandra Schwartz and Alexandra went on to win awards in translation. She's been at the New Yorker for years. Emma just pyrotechnic exploded <laughs> yeah. with uh, huge book deals, a lot of attention, yeah. press. So yeah, I mean, and th that those were people that I you know was hanging out with. Dave Lucas, I think you're still mm -hmm. in touch with yeah, Dave. Yeah. So it's, it is kind of this, it's a great thing because it does bring a lot of very talented people together. And when that happens, there is normally some kind of competition. The best you get out of there, it was healthy competition. Right. <laughs> the worst you get out, it's you're beat up a little, but you do get to talk to people and meet people that, you know, are really, really talented and kind of push you to the next level. And with any yeah. luck, you stay in touch and you're still you know, talking about work and talking about life and supporting each other. Yeah. So um, have to start with that. It'll probably come up again, but let's start with the question I normally start with, which is I'd love to ask my guests to tell me a bit about their roots and the people mm -hmm. that they come from. Yeah. Um, I love that question, by the way. Um, Thank you. Um, from Texas. And um it's funny, like the answer to this question, I, I wrote a book, I, I just signed a contract for a book that's coming out March of next year called Where Are You From? Mm, um, wow. <laughs> and it's uh, uh, letters to my son that I started writing uh, when he was still in the womb about um, just like I love this book already. Like, I don't uh, like, even <laughs> I don't even know what it's about. And I already love it. Okay, go uh, ahead. Yeah, just like about what it would be like trying to give him advice, help him navigate um uh, this really just insane like culture and country we live in um, and uh, especially like as a, as a biracial uh, mm -hmm. child um, and experiences that I was going through struggles I've gone through um, and in that title it alludes to people asking me oh where are you from and then I say Texas and then they say oh uh, where are your parents from and I say Texas mm. and then what they <laughs> want to ask is where were they born? Right? Yeah. What it's are like, your roots and the people right, right, you come from? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so sometimes mm -hmm. like one time I had someone say, Oh, so where are your grandparents from? Mm. I said, Texas. Yeah. Not far and, back enough. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I don't realize. And then I end up explaining to them is that um, my son is now eighth generation Texan. Right. Uh, like we go back to when Texas was Mexico. Right. Exactly. You know? And then I, you know, I, I give them the uh, history lesson of how the border moved, you know, blah, blah, blah. And some of them don't even know. Mm. And I'm thinking like, what, what, what were they teaching you in history mm. class? You know, that mm. uh, makes you think that Texas and Arizona and California were always a part of the U S like, right. 
you yeah. know um yeah so it, at least to like 17 like 1700s um uh we're in like texas you know uh, which was mexico right the northern state uh yeah and then like pushing like pushing farther back like i did that 23 and me thing you oh, know you did. yeah and it was i haven't uh, done it it was such a such a wild like wild soup like um on in terms of like the spanish uh side before my family came over to uh the americas uh southern spain granada mm-hmm. uh, in particular uh as a huge fan of garcia lorca that just yeah. it was like yes perfect. you know I'll, I'll <laughs> perfect um yeah and then um yeah it, it was it was it was weird what came up there was like I think like 5% West African, 5% mm-hmm. North African. Um, and I've gotten mistaken for other ethnicities before. Like I've had once in grad school, I had um, uh, two young men walk up to me and start speaking Arabic. And well, that's interesting. Uh, and I was like, not me. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> not me. Uh, and um, yeah, so it's, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm a very proud mutt you know, and yeah, I was going to say, do you, do you have like a certain, I guess, line of your ancestry that you connect with? I mean, or do you consider yourself quote unquote Mexican or Spanish? Are you just kind of like, I'm this mix? Yeah. Um, I think it depends on who's asking the question. Yeah, sure. You know, like, um, uh, Mexican American is, uh, what like usually, usually, you know, comes up, uh, the answer I usually give, um, but when, yeah, like I'm talking to a friend like you, then, you know, I dive into the, you know, um, the other sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. I- identity is such a, it's such a weird, it's such a weird thing. It's such a it, weird thing. It, it is. It's a big thing that we explore on the show, on this show mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, the first podcast I started in 2015 focused solely on Italian culture and all the guests were Italian or Italian American. Yeah. And this grew because that it just seemed like so many of us are dealing with what our ancestry is, our family stories, how do we teach our children where they come from? What is like, right? right? What is where you come from mean? Does it even matter anymore? That's a really big one. I, you know, like for me, I'm first gen, well, I always do this, like sociologists would call me second generation, but we always call ourselves, everyone I know calls themselves first generation. If your parents were born in Italy. Yeah, of course. And right. You were born here. So I'm first generation here. Who cares what sociologists say? (laughs) (laughs) And, but a lot of the people who, who listen to the show and follow my work, they're way more removed from, from the source that they're fourth generation, fifth generation. And I think maybe, you know, like maybe your son and what you're trying to kind of counter what it sounds like with your, your work and right. This new project is that, you know, because they get to so far removed from that source and then it becomes, well, okay, where do you come from? Right. Right. And they don't really know. Right. And then you don't feel like you belong anywhere because right. America is an identity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It has its own culture. Right. And I do have a, a lot of respect for a nation that I'll speak for myself, took my family in and changed, you know, our destinies. 
but it's a place of new things, right? It's like where it's the new world. And so I do think a lot of people are looking for those roots nowadays. I I, I agree. The the interesting wrinkle uh, in the case of like Mexican-Americans, for example, is um, that so many of them in a way like became refugees, Mm. you know, without ever leaving their country, without ever leaving their land. Right, right, their because, land. That's a great way to right, put it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're right. they're still on the their ancestral land, uh, but now it's a new country. So it's like you've become a refugee without actually traveling anywhere. And yeah. it's like, um, like if you really get into the weeds of it, is um, I haven't thought about it too much because uh, it just occurred to me now. But um, it's it's almost like you're living in occupied territory. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, when I grew up, the small town I grew up in, Mathis, in South Texas, I grew up thinking that there was maybe a 50 50 split in terms of like 50 percent uh, Mexican-Americans, um, you know, 50 percent, um, uh, you know, white people. Uh, but I, I saw this thing the other day. Um, I, I don't remember if it's Chamber of Commerce. It was somewhere. And actually, 92 percent of the the people in this little town of 5,000 that I, that I come from are, uh, it said are Hispanic. Oh. And I was like, why did I, why did I think that? And then I thought, oh, of course, because, um, uh, all the doctors, um, the, uh, people who own businesses, uh, the principals, uh, most of the teachers, uh, everyone who is uh, the dentist, everyone who is in like a, a position of, um, uh, sort of um, like in another class, you know, sure. middle class mm-hmm. and higher were white, you know, and so they, okay, I get so that was the eight percent, right? Right. Yes, okay. <laughs> that was the eight percent. like eight percent were I see in, in these, you know, uh, very important, uh, highly influential positions, you know, right? Um, so as a kid, I just thought, oh, like it's you know the percentage was was skewed in a in a different way. You know? That's interesting. That that shaped how you saw where you where you grew yeah. up yeah but but really you were in the vast majority yeah yeah and your yeah. family so yeah. it's an interesting it's i think this is a thing that happens has happened i mean i know it's a thing that has happened quite often in history and my listeners by now know but i'll repeat it this is very much the story with southern italy hmm. and that it was it was its own it was yeah. its own place <laughs> yeah and it was at one point up there, you know, Naples, where near the region where my family is from, was not terribly long in, ago in the great span of history, mm-hmm. uh, up there with cities like Paris mm. and London. Yeah. And then the powers that be in the north, I mean, to give you the short version, decided to, you may already know this, but decided to invade. And then it was the kind of the same thing. Now there, I mean, it, you still see the legacy of that in Southern Italy in places. Yeah you know, south of Rome and in Sicily, there the dialects are still spoken and the ad especially places like Naples and Sicily, I mean, they are very much their own planets. Yeah. And it's like they're living in it's their land, but it's another country. Sure. That we yeah. call Italy. Yeah. And the language is this very deep thing that I talk about often too on the show. You know what happens when they introduce this new language called Italian, called Italian, yeah, and then right start to impose it from the top down. We grew up, uh, and especially generations before me, that the, the dialects, uh, 
one of my friends, Paddle Boyle demands, I stop calling it a dialect and I call it, I call it a regional language, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. you, you know, because yeah. it is, and that you start to be taught, you know, we're kind of taught that that language is, um, inferior. Sure. Yep. Yep. To proper Italian. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, teachers, you, you grow up and teachers are telling you not to speak it. And right. like my, um, husband's family, they wouldn't, they didn't teach my father-in-law to speak Italian because they didn't want him to speak. Like it just was something mm. that needed to kind of die. Sure. He didn't yeah. learn Sicilian. My husband doesn't know it. And it's a great emptiness that he has that he can't yeah. understand it and speak yeah. it. If that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally relate to that. Um, like the ways in which, um, the like regional language is referred to as Tex-Mex, oh, you know, yeah, yeah like, I've heard that term. I didn't realize you know, it was used with language too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, uh, or Spanglish. Mm, okay. That know, I've heard. Yep. Yep. In a, way, in a way to, um, devalue, Right. You know, to devalue it and to say it, just as you were saying, you know, this particular uh, flavor of language is uh, inferior to uh, proper academic Spanish, you know. Um, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So it's, um, I mean, it, it's it's the it's the, the colonial project, right? It's the colonial project, um, whether right. it's, you know, uh, the powers that be in, you know, the northern part of, you know, Italy, you know, coming right. down or you know, U.S., uh, <clears throat> Mexico, it's, yeah, it's, that's how you, um, yeah, I mean, to take, to take, to make people feel ashamed of their language. Exactly. That's right. That's how you, that's how you, you that's how you do it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Yeah. hundred percent. And we, I wanted to ask you before, when you said you, like, what would be the equivalent of, you know, it's, we would say like the Piedmontese, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that people in Piedmont today are, the reason for this, but in, in the times of unification, so-called unification, it was, it was the Piedmontese. It was that area would, you know, you would have called, uh, the, the, the ruling class, you know, something like Spanglish, for instance, would be, I think an equivalent of, we have a lot of Italian American words, you know, that what we call Italian Italians will like murder you. If you, you you know, you use, (laughs) they, they cannot accept that something happened here. Yeah. Right. With the people who came here and a whole new culture forms, a whole new type of food, a whole new type of dressing, a whole new type of speaking, you know. So those words like uh, mutz for mozzarella, you know, gabagool Mm. and like for prosciutto. They're just there. It's not proper Italian. It's true. It's Italian-American. And I wonder in in your case with the language, is it is it like really educated Mexican-Americans who do, who turn up their noses? Or is it, is it like you said, um, you mentioned like the intellectuals, I think you said Spaniards, like what, where does that come from in your case? You know, it's funny enough, it would be teachers like in the public school system who were teaching Spanish. Right, right, right. You know, um, you know, you grow up like a kid can grow up bilingual, perfectly bilingual. um, And then, you know, the moment they start, you know, taking Spanish classes, it's like, whoa, like, Oh, this yeah. isn't this isn't the language I grew up with, and suddenly there's self consciousness, there's shame, um, you know. If, and, and if they uh, don't feel it yet, the moment that they say something, you know, they say they say uh, you know um, drop some Spanglish word, then it's like, oh, that's not correct, exactly. right? Like that word, that's not the correct way to say it. And um, 
Yeah, and and I think like be like the the perfect sort of like my like my son has done this uh, a few times. Like he'll uh, say a sentence where like the first half is in Spanish and the second half mm. is in English, mm -hmm. and it's grammatically correct. So it's like he's combined two uh, separate grammars and syntaxes, uh, syntaxes, and like put them together, <laughs> uh, and. Like if someone tried to learn how to do that, it's one thing to learn Spanish, learn English, but to learn how to combine two languages yep. uh, together into a new third thing, like that's that's incredibly, incredibly hard. I totally get what you're saying because my son, as he's getting older, is doing the same thing. And I yeah. know what you mean when you're like, it's grammatically correct because he's got it. He he right. knows what he's saying and he knows where this goes and where that goes. He's just mixing the two languages. Yeah. And you're right. It's not actually wrong. Right. It's pretty impressive is what yeah. it is. Yeah. It I, is. I, to I totally get that. And, you know, the, the, the same thing happened with me and my siblings when we would go to school, to high school, and you have the teacher often from the North speaking mm. proper, at least in those days, speaking, teaching proper Italian. And I don't mm. blame her or him. That was her role, but we would come in with our regional language and it, yeah. and it was this feeling of like, you're going to beat that language out of you right? <laughs> in some <laughs> right. sense, you know, and yeah. I, I have talked about this a lot. There is speaking of the theme of the season, there's so much beauty in language and there's so much beauty in connection to your ancestral language. And I have been open about my struggles with Italian on the show before I, I, it's this weird, deep, like place in us. Yeah. It's just like, and it can be all these different shades, you know? So I have, I know people who are learning Italian. I know people who speak pretty good elementary or intermediate Italian. There's somebody like me who's pretty fluent, but we all still like have our thing and whether right. it's right. Like whether it's that teacher who is like, you're doing it wrong. And then it right. like sticks with you. I mean, for me, it was, it was a lot of the like extended community. I grew up around, I would say things and they would laugh. And I think that they were laughing because it was cute. Mm. Like in hindsight, yeah. Especially saying words in like Napolitano in the regional dialect, it's it is really cute when you hear like kids speaking it. <laughs> yeah. But I I thought they were laughing at me because I always felt this like the schism between like you're too American, you're not yeah. Italian enough. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know if like you feel any of that or sometimes I think with Angelo, I'm trying to teach him because I just as much as I can want to like avoid him feeling that. You guys, I'm going to tell you something that even all these years later still makes me cringe. And that is for many years, I didn't drink wine or eat pasta or bread. Yep. In a quest to be quote unquote healthy I abstained from carbs and from what I knew was high levels of sugar in wine. That 
all changed when I discovered ancient grains like einkorn and of course sourdough. I bake a lot of sourdough bread these days. And when I discovered dry farm wines. Dry farm wines sources beautiful, low sugar, non-toxic, pure, organic wines from around the world and they're grown on small family farms where people care not only about the land but about the product that they're making. Once I discovered dry farm wines, I completely changed my approach to wine drinking. We have a wine fridge here and it is literally always stocked with bottles that I get from dry farm. That's why when I started Bella Figura, the tradition of living beautifully, partnering with them was a no-brainer. You guys, I only talk about products and items on this show that I truly believe in, that I stand behind. I give you my word. These are amazing wines, and I really encourage you to give them a try. Use the link made specifically for my listeners dryfarmwines.com forward slash bella figura and if you use the link you will get a bottle for just a penny in your first order now when you get to the site it may seem like you don't have flexibility because they offer packages you get six bottles of wine a month or six bottles of wine every four months you can get a mix of white you can get a mix of red But if you want something different than what's listed on the website, they also have some of the best customer service you are going to encounter. I love dealing with them. It's super easy. They're very courteous and they're very on point. So so if there isn't listed a combination that you want, just hop on the chat button right there or shoot them an email and they will absolutely work with you. Don't let that deter you. Give them a try. Get your bottle for just a penny in your first order. I promise you, you will not regret it. Right, right. Um, I just did an event uh, a few nights ago in um, San Antonio, and um, I read this poem that I translated by a Spanish poet, uh, Javier Velasa. And I read my translation, uh, which it's in my new book, Machete. And then I read the original because I wanted the crowd to, you know, have, uh, have the, hear the flavor of the original. And also it's San Antonio's, you know, Spanish is right. there. It's uh, my grandmother's city on my mom's side. That's where she's from. And, um, and I hadn't read the original in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm going through, and it's written in it's like, proper academic Spanish, okay. you know, and I'm, going I'm like sweating an- for you. I know. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. I, I, you, you know what happened, you, you know how this story ends. So I'm reading through it. And, um, uh, and there was some like, you know, five, six, seven syllable words and, um, that I can pronounce them, but to, to, perf- it's different when you're performing them. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. You know? And, uh, so like I, 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 uh, fumbled one of them. I just kept going. I just sure. kept going. And, and by the end, I was just like, ah, oh, like next time before I, you know, they're going to think I'm a fraud. You know, um, oh, I mentioned I that I, I mentioned that I translated Neruda and, you know, someone's going to be like, like, how is this guy translated? <laughs> like, you know, like, 
his pronunciation. It's, it's, it's like, I can do better than that, you know? And I was just like, Oh, but because there's all of this with that, yeah, you know, you're not just getting up there and speaking. It's like all of this stuff that you grew up with, all of the, like everything we're just talking about is in there in that moment. And yeah, if you didn't practice beforehand and like get it a little bit, yeah, I I totally get that. Um, Oh gosh. Oh, the translation. I'm like, I did not going to lose that train of thought. So tell the listeners, I texted you yesterday because I was like getting prepared obviously for the show. And I was like, Oh, you, you translated Neruda. Like I didn't realize that. And I I was like, that's really impressive. And then realized you've translated a, a lot of poetry from Spanish to English. And now that we're talking about it, I think part of the reason my reaction was like, wow, that's really impressive is because of everything we're talking about right yeah. now yeah. to it's, I mean, it's ballsy <laughs> if I may to do that, considering all of this stuff we've been talking about with language, it would be very brave of me to start translating Italian prose you could do into it. English. You could, totally do, you could totally do it. My God, I should do it. You do it. You should, you should. I think um, this is like a deep, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like yeah. a deep thing though. I think I would be so nervous and feel completely inadequate to the task. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the person who needs to be translating. Like the person oh, who comes in and thinks, my gosh, <laughs> oh, I, I got this down pat. This is going to be a breeze. You know, I'm such an expert. Like it's probably going to, you know, create a, tran- a translation that uh, is just as lifeless as that uh, wooden duck that's behind you. <laughs> It's going to look like a duck. It's going to have all the same colors of a duck, the shape That's of a duck. so interesting. But it's not going to get up and fly. Wow. Whoa. You know. You're encouraging me to do this. Have you, you've heard of Elena Ferrante's The Neapolitan Novels? Have you heard of them? You know, I I have. And I have, there's this weird, I mean, I call it weird, this weird thing about me where if any anything gets too popular, mm. um, like I stay away from it. So like, for example, I still haven't seen Titanic. Come on, because uh, it, it was it was so like it was, <laughs> it was so really big. huge. Yeah, it was so huge when I came, and I couldn't get away from that song. And I was like, I'm not gonna watch <laughs> you it. and everyone else. <laughs> I was like, right. I was like, I'm not gonna watch it. And and it, 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 at some day, some point, I probably will. But like, uh, like like Ferrante is like so huge. I'm yeah. like, I feel like the buzz, like when buzz is that huge, it's gonna impact my experience. I get it. that, and, and you know, I like, and, and I want. Like that's not fair to the books, and like I, I want, I want to give them, you know, uh, you know, a, a fair, fair chance, you know, and to have yeah. like a real experience with them. I get that. Yeah. So maybe you wait like another decade, and it'll yeah. calm down, and then you can pick it up. But you know, for for somebody like me, for for all of us like Italian girls, it was like, holy cow! I mean, they're writing, like our moms' lives are mm. a hit book series and like uh, HBO right. ministry. It was a mini series. Like we are all like, it was just like, yeah, I don't know, explain. It felt like a kind of moment to shine. Uh, I want to so read them. Now, now I want to read them. Now, oh, well, now. that makes me happy. Yeah. Because it, it really, I read, I read all of the books before I watched before the show even came out. Yeah. And then I, I actually did read them in Italian too, which um, is easier for me to do when I know the story. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really enjoyable to read them in Italian. And, but the whole time, I mean, just, this is my mother's life. This is every story my mother has ever mm. told me about growing up more or less. I mean, in, yeah. minus the specifics, but I brought that up because there's a lot of 
there's a lot of dialect in the books, a regional language, but the whole vibe is absolutely from the area I grew up in. And I, I haven't ever sat with like the translation I read in the original Italian, but I should, maybe I'll do that after this, just a little bit to take a peek. But yeah. somebody like me, I would have loved to translate something like that. I mean, mm. what a huge undertaking, but yeah. because I understand that the spirit and that you can, you can know all the words. Yeah. Yeah. You can know all the vocabulary, right? But you, if you don't know the spirit, something's missing. 100%. Things that, like you said, the duck doesn't fly. Yeah. Is that what you meant? Is that what you're kind of getting at? What I just said? Yeah, in your yeah, own yeah. way yeah okay yeah. I, I, I stole that from um uh robert lowell had this book that i used to teach called uh, imitations um whenever i was teaching translation and in the introduction he uh talks about how people who are literal translators uh, uh produce translations that are wooden and i mm. think he refers to them as uh taxidermied like taxidermied um wow. and um uh, so then I like I took that and uh, so whenever I talk to students and I don't have the book, uh, I, have, I actually usually use the duck, uh, the duck as uh, insert a duck into the example. So when I saw that, yeah, duck behind you, I was like, oh, it's it, it's my, the prop. That's my prop. You know, I love that. Yeah, I, so I guess I haven't really even thought about it that much because I just assume that's like something not for me. Like other people are more equipped to do something like that than me. But I'm going to like think about that now and maybe take more time to actually look at translations of Italian, obviously in particular, and um, and and see that difference. Is that you should, you should totally do it. And like wow. I often like sometimes I'll assign like a grad student, um, uh, like if a grad student is having trouble with, let's say, metaphors, mm -hmm. right? they're not very good with metaphors. Um, uh, and they have a little facility uh, with another language. I'll find uh, a poet in that language who is just absolutely dynamite with metaphors and say, okay, you know, translate a few poems by that poet. And there's something oh. about like uh, at the end of that sort of exercise, um, like they get it, something like clicks into place because you, you have to slide into the shoes of that author and you have to do all of the same moves that they do in that other language, but now you have to do it in the target language, right? In English. Uh, and it starts working that, like, for example, the, the metaphor muscle, right? It starts working the metaphor muscle, and then it creates a sort of like muscle memory. Um, there's a great way in which translation for, um, uh, like, for people who are writers and who want to grow, uh, where translation is an absolutely indispensable tool. Really? Yeah. So you've thought about this a lot because you've done yeah. it a lot. I haven't thought yeah. about it at all because I just undercut myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be frank. Yeah. Cause you just said a lot of things that I are, are perfectly understandable. Like I digested everything you just said Yeah. about what seems to me a very complex thing. Yeah. Cause there's translation for publication and then translation for growth, artistic growth and two so very, you're saying, very different things. So you're saying just like the act of like, for instance, if I sit with a passage from Ferranta's book and mm -hmm. I translate it just as an act of growing as a writer, period. Yeah, yeah like if... Um, oh, gosh, this is like, kind of... Like, if you hmm. wanted to know how um, uh, Ferranta uh, uses paragraphs, you know, just, okay. just how they... just how they uh, Is it they? She? Yeah, she. She was, she was anonymous for a while, but it, yeah, it's a... 
I actually still don't know who she is. I don't know why, because I don't even want to know. I'm like, if she wants to be anonymous, you know, like why, why do I, I'm the only person in the world left besides you (laughs) who's like, just let her be anonymous. Why ruin it? (laughs) But yes, she. Yeah. mm -hmm. So yeah. So like, if you want to know how she uses paragraphs Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I love the way she uses paragraphs. I wish I could use paragraphs like that. Uh, Translator, translate, translate like three pages. Okay. You know, translate okay. three pages and you'll start to feel it. You'll start to feel how she uses paragraphs. Uh, and then you'll start to understand it, but you, you'll feel it first. I'd love that idea. Yeah. I'm going to do it's, that. It, it's, it's not dissimilar to like, um, like what pro athletes do when they watch tape, when they watch video, okay. you know, they want to learn how, uh, let's say, you know, just uh, basketball, you know, how a certain player does a certain thing, you know, moves in the post, blah, blah, blah. Like they'll get the video person to like, right. uh, you know, you know, get some video together for them to watch the video. And then what do they do? They go to the court and they, they, they do it. They practice it. Right. And like yeah. build it into the memory of those, those movements. Right. You know, they study it and then they build it into, you know, the memory of their muscles and then, and then it's theirs. This is good. I like that. Well, now, but then I'm, I'm like, I know myself, I'm going to start doing it. Just like, I'm just going to do it to grow. And then I'm going to be <laughs> like, I want to train. I want to publish this. <laughs> Somebody get me a publisher. <laughs> no, but it sounds like a great, it sounds like a great exercise. And I'm thinking as you were talking of one passage, there's this one passage I mean, there's many, but one has really stuck with me in the Italian version. So the way Ferrante originally wrote it, obviously, and it's it's pretty much all in dialect in regional language in napolitano mm-hmm. and you know one of the girls main characters is speaking to another and she's she's just kind of telling her to like it, it's very it's a, it's it's not really worth explaining taking up time but basically i remember reading it in the original and thinking like this passage <laughs> is like where i come from mm. and I cannot explain it to you if you you don't come from there. Right. And I can guarantee you the translation has not captured this. But now that we're talking, I'm thinking like what a great exercise for me, right? To try and capture that yeah. in translation. Yeah. yeah. And then an interesting wow. like um it's like translation it's all about problem solving and interesting uh in the great like that problem in terms of um, uh, like the negative connotation that we give the word, yeah. uh, but just in terms of like puzzles, right? It's like yeah. puzzle solving, mm-hmm. um, like uh, an interesting puzzle that will be like part of that exercise for you will be the the English of the dialogue, right? Right. If there's dialogue in that passage um, that's in, you know, dialect, let's say, for example, uh, what kind of English do you put that in? Right. That's what I was just you thinking know? when right. before. Yeah. Like what, how, what is the English equivalent of that right. way of speaking? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm already excited for you. And <laughs> that's like, that's so fun. Like for me, like those it's like juicy, of, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, those kinds of puzzles. It's like, like, yes, like, okay. Like that's, that's, that's where it's at. You know, I like this. Thank you. You're sending me home with a project, like a true yeah. teacher that didn't take you long at all. Like 30 minutes in here, uh, did not expect to dive into translation regarding me, but nice surprise. I love things like that. Let's let's talk a little bit more with the time we have left here about your writing specifically and some of the the other work you've done. You just earlier this year, correct? Is it this year? No, last. So, oh, almost a year ago now. 
your memoir came out. Because yeah, we're yeah. in 2023. It was, it was March of last yeah. year. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Here I'm thinking we're in like the end of 2022. I know. Okay. So uh, about a year ago, well, less than a year ago, your first memoir, maybe not your last, right? Yeah, maybe. Did you enjoy, let me count the ways. Did you, in, did you enjoy the process of writing this? You, you were written poetry before then. Right. Make this switch. You know, it was um, like the first draft was really hard. It was really hard mm -hmm. writing about my childhood and the three father figures I had and the struggle that two of them had with addiction. Um, um, yeah, it's probably like all of the books I've written were uh, like really joyous acts. Like like it was like writing poetry is, is such a joy to me. Um, it makes me so happy. And that, but yeah, that book, like, uh, I, I think the reason it was so, like, I had moments where I was sitting there and I was like wiping the tears away and mm. trying to still type, you know, to, to, to not lose the the spark of, you know, that passes that moment. And, um, yeah, that was, that was hard. You know, that was really hard. The fun part was after I got through the first draft right. was, uh, structure and trying to, cause the first draft was just a blob. Sure. But trying to, yeah, trying to rearrange it. And I thought, well, maybe this will always be like my experience with prose. Um, but I just drafted, I drafted a, finished the first draft of a novel uh, oh, last wow. year. And it was so much fun. Just like, just like writing poetry. It was, um, like, it was so exciting. Like I couldn't wait to get back to like the page every day. And I had a friend of mine, I, I said this to him recently. He said, that's how I know you did it wrong. Uh, and, and like we, we laughed. Because uh, you enjoyed it? Yeah, because I enjoyed it so much. <laughs> and, and we laughed about that. And I was like, I was like, no, you're doing it wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, it was so much fun. So I was like, okay, so prose doesn't always have to be like, you know, spiritually, you know, wrenching. Well, you were so so the book is about your your childhood in Texas, um, your the addiction that was in your family and around you, and then your subsequent development of uh obsessive disorder where yeah, you, disorder. Yeah, yeah, you were obsessive compulsive disorder. You were basically, it's an, an attempt to control some of your environment because so yeah. much was out of your control. So my guess is, yeah, you were diving into some really heavy stuff yeah. and it was coming up and it's painful. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so memoirs hard, but maybe you've written the really hard parts of it. But I mean, I personally, like I think first, so you just say first draft was a blob and like, I'm having, I'm coming at a point right now where I've re-remembered if that's possible, re-remembered that, uh, first drafts are messy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> I, it's a long story, but I, you know, I don't want to make it about me, but just to keep the conversation going, revisited a bunch of projects, a bunch of manuscripts. And I was looking through things because I'm rewriting something now. And I'm like, I am a serial abandoner. Mm. I start things. I write novels. I get to like the end or even halfway through. I mean, I have, you know, many, I have so many manuscripts that are like 170 pages mm. or a hundred pages, which when you're making something out of nothing, Right. is no small amount. Right. Of course. Yeah. At some point I dedicated that much time to something. And yeah. then, and what I think has happened, happened to me was realize what I think I forgot somewhere along the line that this is difficult. Yeah. 
and the first draft, especially. So I would, I would, I think I get to the point where I'd just say, yeah, this isn't any good. I'm not any good. Yeah. Let me go work for the governor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like kind of, you know, in a nutshell. So, yeah. um, I mean, it doesn't sound like your other writing projects though, feel that way to you. <laughs> it's just the memoir. Well, you know, the, um, the novel, I would probably still be toiling away on the first draft if um, on, on a total lark, like it was it was a complete sort of like inside joke with myself. I was um, looking around for craft books on like, you know, how to write a novel. Um, and I came across one called uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Mm. Mm. And uh, the narrator of my novel is a cat. And oh, I thought, wow. and I thought, okay, like uh, I'll get this just again, just like as a joke. And then uh, I was uh, doing my first writing residency. I was actually in Umbria. I was in Umbria uh, oh. summer of last year. Uh, so I was in Umbria for my first time in Italy. Uh, in Amazing. Um, and I write like 500 words, the first 500 words of this novel. And it's just the cat thinking. And then I thought I could write 70,000 words of just this cat thinking and nothing would ever happen. And I'd have to start over. And that would be awful. Uh, so, so then I thought maybe I should look at this, save the cat writes novel. So I, I, I picked up the book and started reading it and immediately fell in love with it. Hmm. Um, it's the most user-friendly, uh, craft book I've ever come across. Really? Uh, but then I had this yeah. moment where I was like, oh, I'm an artist. What about my integrity? Like <laughs> I can't write using a formula. And then, so I, 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 I sat in that space for a, a minute and then I thought, I sound like my students. Mm. you know her like you know I don't need to know about form mm. or structure you know like I have feelings to emote right. you right. know uh so then I thought if if I were a student in a class and I were uh going to be assigned to write a sonnet uh I would the very first thing I would do would be to write probably the most traditional sonnet uh the the in terms of structure the most boring sonnet right uh, I would read uh, traditional and classical sonnets uh, yeah. before I tried to write some sort of postmodern sonnet. Sure. So um, to say the cat writes a novel, it's uh, like classic three act structure. It's like 15 beats, you know, um, and uh, it's like tons of examples of um, like other novels that uh, she breaks down, you know, like beat by beat. And um, and I was like, OK. If this book never gets published, that's okay. My my sole goal will be to have the best time possible, the most fun. Oh my gosh. This Something that would never come out of my yeah. mouth. <laughs> so I thought I'm I'm gonna take that, take that out that's of the That's amazing. Equation. This is just going to be, yeah, fun. That's that's the where I'm putting the bar. Um, so then getting from beat to beat. Uh, was it was it was such a blast trying to find out like okay so I've written you know like the the novel is at this place the character's doing this how do I get over there and yeah. I was able to fill this form with like it's like it's wild it's a speculative novel it's 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 a it's like our world but a little just a little off kilter but it was like I was able to fill this very traditional kind of structure with the most wild stuff and I thought that's probably a good marriage of, of uh, form and content. Sure. So if it was super postmodern and then the content was super crazy too, well, that's, that's asking a lot, right? Of, the, right. of a reader. Of a reader, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I also think people like those books. 
you know, like they do. do. (laughs) Like they, I have come a long way from your students, like that young artist who, you know, is kind of like looking down on what's popular and, and what people like, because I, I haven't published any books yet. I still have dreams too. And I would like for people to read them and enjoy them. And I remember a friend of mine once saying, this was a long time ago. I clearly have been through many ups and downs and doubts as a writer. And I was saying to him, you know, I'm just, I'm not any good. Uh, It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to really like, I'm just going to focus on other things. You know, I'm never going to be James Joyce. You know, he's like, nobody reads James Joyce. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't matter. And, you know, he was right because, okay, of course people read James Joyce, but he's making a point, which is, very few people have James Joyce on their nightstand right now, have Ulysses right. on their nightstand right now. Right. And we like that three-part structure. We like yeah. the forward, the setbacks. I mean, every Hollywood yeah. movie basically has that formula. Yeah. Uh, I love mystery. I mm-hmm. love like Agatha Christie. Mystery, same thing. Yeah. It, it really has a formula. Of course, as yeah. good writers, you know, you, you're messing with the formula, but mm-hmm. but it's there. And I love yeah. I. I enjoy it. Yeah. And I think there's something to that to just say, yeah. like, give the people what they want. Right. I mean, it's like, <laughs> do, do you want to be on someone's syllabus or on someone's nightstand? Mm. Is know? that like a saying or did you just make it up? I just made it up. Oh, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. You know, two exactly very my different point. things. Two very different things. Two very give, different Give me the things. nightstand. Give me the nightstand. Same here. Yeah. Absolutely. I yeah. have come. I used to want to be on, on your syllabus. Me too. And me too. Right. And yeah. now I'm like, no, I want to sell a lot of books and I want people to really enjoy reading them. Like the, the best yeah. books you read where you like come home from work and you're like, yes, I can read that book. Yeah. I cannot wait to open that book. Yeah. Or, or, the, like, or the book that, you know, someone on the subway, right. It's like right. Is, yeah. is reading um, right when they get home, you know, they make exactly. dinner, crawl into bed and they know they, they have a long day the next day, but they can't put it down. Exactly don't want to leave that 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 world yeah i mean and so listen the world is changing so crazily fast right now i mean you can't even you can't even care about how long you're gonna last because nothing's lasting yeah yeah it's so true everything is just it's just a weird weird time so i mean i'm just want to write good books that people want to read good stories get to some truths while I'm at it, basically. (laughs) I mean, you know, writing uh, books or, you know, creating um, art, right? Creating any kind of art that reaches people uh, where they are, right? And, uh, you know, touches their their lives. Um, uh, Even just making them laugh, you know, making them laugh. um, Like that is an absolutely like beautiful thing. Agreed. it's It's like, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking already for an hour, which doesn't surprise me. So I, before we wrap up, I do want to return to your memoir and talk for a minute about taking hard stories and taking family stories mm-hmm. and turning them into beauty. I've done a lot of that. I do a lot of it. Current project I'm working on is more of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a big part of my life. It's a big part of what I talk about. And a lot of people, these stories, these hard things are not talked about. 
and often become kind of just dark phantoms inside of us, I believe, right? right? And in between us and in our relationships with people. And I'm just wondering if you could, you know, you mentioned before that it was really hard. You had points where you were crying as you were writing from, from that beginning point to the end project, you know, the finished book. I mean, what, looking back, like, what do you see that process as like transforming that into this? Well, I, I definitely leaned on my, like my skills and train as a poet, you know, in Mm. terms of, you know, um, framing the moments, but then also, um, you know, trying to, you know, write, put a music into the sentences that was, that was beautiful, that was joyful, um, uh, that even though someone was reading a sentence that was absolutely heartbreaking, like it was a beautiful sentence, right? Right. you know, um, as opposed to just like these sentences that are like hammers, you know, that are just, you know, communicating information and not singing, yeah. not doing anything. And a lot um, of what you wrote about was, is like hard to read, like, at least yeah. for me, like I have, like, it's hard for me to read about somebody putting a needle in their arm. It's really like, I'm like one of those people. Yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to read about like the obsessive, just the compulsiveness, like yeah. the, it's just, it like, it hurts and yeah. it's hard stuff like that's. And so you're right. Like if you, if you didn't add the poetry in, it would be almost, it would be almost unreadable. Yeah. yeah and um, I, I felt like that was the sort of contract I had to make with myself was um, uh, I had to like use the poetry of the language to bring the reader in, hold them and hopefully pull them, pull them through, right. you know, pull them through, um, you know, uh, to the end of it. Uh, because I wanted, I, I really, I mean, in, I know this is an issue in a lot of communities, but especially in the Mexican American community, my conversations about mental health, mm. um, are, are, are so rare. Uh, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I didn't know a single person who had a therapist or saw right. a counselor, um, if, if you did, the stigma was, oh, you know, that person's crazy. Sure. Um, and there was, you know, none of that. And um, so, I mean, one hope was that the book would talk about some hard things that um, and like make it a, an easier way to like an easier intro, entry point, conversation point into these hard conversations mm. that in a way I feel like we're still not having enough you know, enough of. Did you feel like that was accomplished? Like when you go out and you do readings or you, you know, people talk to you about the book? Uh, Yeah. I mean, some people have, Uh, I think again, like the, the sort of tricky thing is um, since, you know, it's not conversations that come easy. uh, There's still that sort of like reluctance. I've, I've, I've had people reach out and say, you know, like I, I never saw like my experience with OCD, like reflected on the page Mm -hmm. before, Uh, you know, um, um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. So I just want to say too, I mean, it's not that we've, you know, we live in different parts of the country. We, we did go for like several years without, with, with like losing touch. It's not, yeah. I don't want to say like, I know you inside out like a book, but I knew none of this about you. Yeah. And as I'm like reading the book, preparing for this and thinking, is it possible I never asked you? Because I mean, if you follow me on it, just if you follow me alone on Instagram and you nothing else about me, you know that I'm very into people's stories and their family stories yeah. and their upbringings <laughs> and their roots. 
And I'm thinking, is it, how, how did I not, I didn't know any of this about you unless I forgot it, but it seems like something pretty intense to forget. Maybe you just mentioned it in passing. Maybe you didn't talk about it at all. I don't know that I, yeah, I don't know that I talked about it. Yeah. Um, I, it's interesting it's, to me. It's interesting. It's like not the kind of thing I want to lead with, you know, yeah. like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, here's here's my business card, you know, and right. um, my compulsions are listed on the back, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. But I never even I mean, I don't know if it's something you still work with, but I never even again, not that we were in the same place often, right. but in the times that we were, I never noticed anything like that yeah. about you. Well, I mean, um, there were things in there that uh, my mother didn't even know about. You know, so uh, if that makes you feel any better, a little uh, bit, yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, so Mickey, what kind of friend am I? Did I not ask him about his, you know, his life, his past? But maybe, maybe I did, and it just was a little more like I'm from Texas. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's, it's kind of like, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't like, I don't want to be defined by it. You know, uh, even mm-hmm. though I've come to a place where I embrace it, not just as just as a human, that this is how I'm wired, but also um, it, it it absolutely like impacts my art. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I like have to navigate like my obsessive compulsive disorder with regards to my art. I mean, one thing I was telling um, uh, my partner um, just yesterday, how I feel like one of my greatest skills as an artist is uh, taking something from a concept to executing like a first draft. That's one of your greatest skills, yeah, like your best like skills. Okay. One of my best skills is like, I have an idea for something and I can execute like, like a first draft. Mm, um, that is a skill. They may not go anywhere f- from there, you know, but to actually have like right. something with the beginning, middle and end. And I think that's uh, because of my OCD mm. and my uh, like real, real struggle to leave something unfinished, mm. you know? So that's a way in which like, you know, this, um, uh, I hate using the word disorder, uh, but the, the ways in which that wiring, right. That yeah. wiring um, like people uh, I've often had like people recently say, Oh, you're so prolific. You're so prolific. And it's like, I just can't leave things unfinished. You know, like unlike I... me, <laughs> it was just, it's, it's very interesting. No, I understand that. Yeah. And I, from where I'm sitting, I'm like, that's amazing because I'm actually really good at leaving things unfinished. Yeah. And now that we're talking about it, I, 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 it's kind of a character trait Yeah. in some way that's wild. And, and the same for you. Oh, you know, it's something that you, you have to live with. And I, right. I also think kind of circling back to what I asked you originally about turning these hard stories into beauty, you know, into prose, into art. I recently talked about on Instagram that I grew up and I was always called like really sensitive. You're too sensitive. You're so Mm. sensitive. Oh my God, she's so sensitive. And I think I said something along the lines of like, there's not enough characters allowed here for me to describe how that's shaped me. Like Mm. how being told I was too sensitive as opposed to, oh, you're so sensitive. Like you see things that other people don't see, you feel things that the rest of us don't feel. Oh, Dolores, that's what makes you such a great listener. Like that's what makes you so creative. That's what makes you so sweet. Like you have compassion. No, it was like, you're to this and you have to stop doing it. And as I've gotten older, I have learned to 
like transmute that and as much as possible. And I've realized that what I'm getting at is it goes sometimes our greatest burdens, the things that cause us the most pain are also our greatest gifts. Absolutely. And it's exactly what you just described. I mean, this thing that has Absolutely. clearly been, I'm sure, not easy for you also makes it so that you you've published how many books now? Um six six yeah, yeah. And then the one coming out next and one seven, seven and i mean like, like in the past like 10 years or something right <laughs> yeah, something, yeah that's a yeah. lot of books i know <laughs> i'm like it's a lot of books yeah, so like, how, how did that happen yeah well, right like in, yeah. in this thing you just described that is like so hard for you is also what gets you yeah being so prolific so i love that i love that idea that we do often without even knowing it you know that's kind of the, the dark things can become yeah strengths and beauty yeah. and whether it's family stories or our own issues, yeah, you know, all of that. So it, it, go ahead, I, please add say, something. Yes, um, add please. You do. know, the, um, remember that, that whole like lean in movement mm -hmm. uh, from a while back, uh, yeah. I didn't like really follow it, but like, I, I liked it as a sort of catchphrase, you know, lean mm -hmm. in. And um, I feel like, um, like, like what you just described, um, like it's been a real journey for me to sort of like lean in you know, mm -hmm. lean into um, everything that makes me, me and myself yeah. and like allow that person like to be present on the page. And mm. I was thinking with regards to like what you were saying, um, like the sort of framing of uh, I'm a serial abandoner, right? Mm -hmm. A serial like unfinisher, um, like maybe instead of uh, becoming uh, like changing that part of yourself, what if uh, like, uh, you did the opposite. And like within like, let's say that 170 page mm -hmm. manuscript, right? What if like, there's a 30 page story in there? Right. You right. Know, like, well, what if each one of those things, like whenever you absolutely lose interest, that means that first draft is done. And then the work is going back in and finding, okay, ah. so where's, where's the thing in here that um, I need to take out that's not going to be 300 pages? Or 400 pages i see but it's going to be it's going to be smaller but it's like hiding in here i see you know? um, so so if it didn't if it didn't become a full-blown novel that doesn't yeah. mean there isn't still something in it right right that i can take right i, like I mean maybe you've been writing novellas this, this whole time right you just didn't even know it i mean for my speed i used to do short stories yeah that i loved doing short stories and i just kind of felt like how am I going to sell short stories? You know, it was kind of like, I started with poetry. I was like, how am I going to sell poetry? It was yeah. <laughs> always like this kind of workhorse mindset. Yeah. And, but like stories are my pace. Cause I can like get in, yeah. I can get out. Yeah. Um, and the, it's the long, it's the like, like what you do well, that is what is really challenging for me. Yeah. That like 400 page manuscripts. Like, yeah. well, you know, the, um, um, like the the first draft of the memoir, that blob, I ended up chopping that into fifty two vignettes. Oh, really? Um, yeah, because I, I like I didn't I didn't know how to work with like a blob like that, yeah. a canvas that big. You know, you know, so, some some of the novels lately that like I'm I'm trying to actually think when to give you an example, but or even nonfiction that I really like a lot, and I'm starting to give myself permission to do is is like I don't have to take the narrator from leaving her front door down the stairs onto the sidewalk <laughs> into the car. Like I, in my mind, I'm like, I got to take you everywhere, but I don't, I can just, she can be at her parents' house in upstate New York 
and then it can end and yeah. then she can open at a club in New York city or whatever. Yeah. 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 And I think that kind of falling into place for me has been like a little more liberating. I don't know yeah. where I've gotten this, like, yeah. I don't know where I got that, where I thought like I had to connect everything that way. It's yeah. weird. I mean, I think if it's first person um, point of view, like uh, there is so much wealth there if you are going step by step, mm. right? You know, because um, uh, then you're allowing the reader to like feel and see and hear and touch everything, right? right? That the um, um, that the narrator is experiencing. But yeah, like if it's third third person, yeah, if it's yeah. third person, then um, you can move through space, right? Right. Exactly. So I clearly, I need to take one of your classes. Where should I go? (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) I mean, do I have to come to Texas? Like I, I obviously I need a little, uh, a little of your magic more like sprinkled (laughs) over whatever I'm working on. So, um, listeners can look forward to a novel sometime in the near future. Yes. Okay. Great. So I'm going to link to all of your work, obviously, and website, Instagram, Facebook, all that. And um, hopefully everyone will dive in and learn a little bit more about you. I have, as often happens, tons more questions that I didn't get to, but I feel like we covered the gamut on beauty, life, art, writing. Diaspora. like like Exactly. Language. So we did good in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Tomas, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me. Thank you so much. This is, yeah, this is like, I wish every, uh, every Tuesday could start like with this much, you know, joy. Okay. Thanks for joining me for episode two of season four. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Please consider subscribing to the show if you aren't already. And if you do that, not only do episodes appear automatically when I post them, but it gives the show a boost, which means more people get the chance to see it. And if you like the show, please share it with friends and share it on social. You can find me on Instagram at Dolores underscore Alfieri underscore Tadanto. Don't hesitate to shoot me a DM or write me an email at Dolores at Podcast.com. I absolutely love hearing from all of you. Here's to knowing your roots and cultivating a beautiful life from their power.